the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome to part two of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, we have our panel of political pundits, starting with, uh, on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. On the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back. Thank you. And joining us uh, this week, and uh, we welcome back to this uh, second half, Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley. Welcome back, Wood. Thank you. Glad to be here. And uh, I said we were going to move our attention to uh, to Washington this hour, and uh there's there's lots going on. I'm not sure if I have it if I have it all down in my notes, but we'll get to as much of it as we can. Biden administration officials acknowledged Thursday the pandemic that appeared to be waning a month ago has entered a new troubling phase. Speaking from the White House, President Joe Biden said the two dozen members of his COVID team were examining the surge in cases in, and uh, hospitalizations among the still sizable portion of the country that remains unvaccinated and determining whether new mask recommendations were necessary. We follow the science. What's happening now is all the major scientific <coughs> operations in this country and the 25-person group that we put together are looking at all the possibilities of what's happening now. We have a pandemic among the non-vaccinated. If you are vaccinated, you are safe, Biden said later Thursday during a uh, meeting with union officials. 
Will a surge in COVID cases, and I asked this before, but but I'll ask it again, will a surge in COVID cases among the non-vaccinated lead to more people choosing to get the vaccine? It should. You should drive, yeah, science and math says that that should, and behavior should, that should drive it in the direction of more vaccinations. Yeah, and I've seen some stories this past week suggesting that there's been a slight uptick in people getting the vaccine uh, within the last week or so, but uh, but only slight. It's it's gonna it's gonna take some still more persuading, I think. But then you're always getting arguments to that issue from the other side, and that is uh, making individuals a little bit apprehensive. You know, uh, as long as we have two. Two points of view out there, this is not going to move fast. But what you said, uh, it should drive uh, the interest toward more vaccination. The surge yeah. should. I, um, I was reading an article just um, the other day, and um, these doctors were saying that, that they, were, they were witnessing uh, one... Uh, episode that happened time and time again, and that was these young people that uh, had contracted COVID, and and they were in distress, and 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 the one thing that they wanted was, can I get the vaccine? Mm. And they said, no. At this point, no, you can't get it right now. We're trying to too late. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. and so <laughs> un- unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, you know that that lesson. I'm hopeful of just sort of to tag on to the comments that have been made that I'm hopeful that that kind of uh, thing that happens that if those young people are are survivors that they not only get the vaccine but they then spread the word that they become evangelists if you will uh, so because apparently all the money that's uh, that's been spent on advertisement and the like uh just you know, sometimes doesn't um, defeat certain cultural kinds of, of, of issues. This anti-vaccine <coughs> sentiment has been pretty strong for, for years, remember, among certain uh, populations. Yeah. I, I have a question, Tom. Uh, anybody who can uh, answer this. Um, the vaccine only have a life cycle of, what, 30 days? And we're making all of this vaccine, and nobody's, a few people are taking advantage of it. What's happening to the product itself? What's it costing the American people? Should we continue this madness, or should we do something different? Well, that's that's a good question. I suspect that some of it is uh, going overseas to other countries. Yeah, I think I think we had given a, a substantial amount to other countries because it wasn't being used here. I think we gave, gave some to Canada as well. But even then, uh, you, you you hear stories about you know local local facilities desperately trying to use up the vaccine before it goes out of date in, in many areas here. Uh, yeah, but we are spending the money not to benefit the American people, and we need that money to apply in many many different areas where there's a human need. So uh, not that we shouldn't give it overseas when there are circumstances, but the money should be um, utilized to uh, prevent American human suffering. 
Yes. I don't think anyone would, anyone would argue with, with that, Henry, but the other thing is is that this pandemic is a worldwide scourge. And, I mean, you know, to the extent that, that if, if we have surplus, what's better, to dump it or no. to try and find right. uh, international uh, humanitarian uh, places where, where we can... Because, remember... Uh, you know, we are an international community. People travel all over the world. So if there's an outbreak in India mm-hmm. or uh, in Great Britain or where Canada even, we're... we're yeah, but, but my point, I thought I made that clear, that we should do this if uh, rather than dump it, as you say. Uh, but uh, in, in the design of things, uh, there's so much need in the United States, and, and we're spending the money in ways that are not productive. Doesn't turn good. Uh, doesn't make good returns for us. Uh, sure, we're doing the humanitarian things and answering the needs throughout the world, but our primary focus should be on the need here. I agree. But, you know, in terms of the global issue, one concern I have is that. Uh, Six months or a year from now, we're going to get a new variant, you know, variant X of this this, this virus that's, that does, is not affected by the vaccine, and we're going to have to start all over again with some new uh, new virus that's that's uh, going to infect the, the globe. So as this thing percolates around the globe and keeps mutating, there's always a risk there's going to be some new variant that's going to be immune to the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole anti-vaccination uh, movement started uh, some years ago, and there is a book on uh, on who actually started that. Um, it, it, it's been debunked, but it still uh, has a lot of followers. There was a doctor um, who claimed that he had patients who had developed autism as a result of um, being vaccinated for, you know, just standard vaccinations that that everybody was getting for rubella and measles and so on. Right. And uh, a British journalist named Brian Deere wrote a book about the doctor that, that spread that that rumor. And, and he went on the road. He came... He, worked in Europe and he came over to the United States and he spread this all over and a number of uh, peer-reviewed articles have debunked his findings and and basically called the whole thing a rumor but it stuck and the book is called uh, The Doctor Who Fooled the World Science Deception and the War on Vaccines, and it was written by Brian Deere. Brian was a guest on my show here toward the end of uh, last year when the book came out. Anyway, it's an interesting read about how we ended up with this large number of people that no matter what are uh, turned against the vaccines. Yeah, yeah. Well, even here, isn't, isn't is it Robert Kennedy Jr., a big anti-vax uh, individual and also forgotten the Hollywood actress who's led the charge on that too. Um, on being anti-vaccine? Uh, and Anti-vax, yeah. There's a, a, fam- a well-known Hollywood person. I can't think of her name right now. But I, I know Bobby Kennedy Jr. was his, his biggest. Right, actor. right, right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, did I have, was it him or his son that was on the show just a while ago? Um, and, and we touched on that a little bit, but we were talking about something else that had to do with, uh, with kids. Um, anyway, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens if we do especially with these more contagions or contagious yeah. variants if uh if that ends up influencing people to um you know take the shot so speaking of that i was just I'm, I'm sitting here in front of my computer i just see there's a story at indicating 10 michigan counties uh, are now considered to be high high risk areas for transmission and they recommend you wearing masks not Genesee County. Michigan's been kind of low in the past, but there's 10 counties in various parts of the state, a couple in the UP and a couple in the southern, the southern border along Indiana's border that are considered high transmission areas now by some current, current study. Well, let's see. I, um, I, I for one, have uh, taken the vaccine. I had the, uh, the Pfizer double shot, and I've never been one to turn down a double shot. <laughs> that's good advice <laughs> I, I, I you know I, I i don't roll jeeps or anything but i'm just, I'm just saying you know i i am at the time i i'm wondering uh have anybody been uh curious about how we make the connection between two geographic extremities where you have high incidence rates Hundreds of miles away from each other. How, what is the method, the process of transmission? Well, you know, that was looked at at the very beginning of the pandemic when uh, Michigan became a hot spot very quickly. You know, remember it was, it was mm -hmm. uh, out west, I think, in uh, Washington State or Oregon, and then in New York, it, it just took off in New York and then all of a sudden Michigan was a very big deal and it was um, uh, speculated at the very least if not confirmed that a lot of it had to do with international travel from the east to Detroit and and a lot of that had to do with um, uh, the auto industry and the people that travel back and forth mm -hmm. routinely on uh, business for the auto industry but that's speculation. That is not. There, no I don't know that there's any real hard science on it, yeah. Henry. I know it's been looked at a little bit, but I don't. I, I haven't seen any final numbers. But it's good to have those kind of statistics to to segment out states that are high incidence rates. That's great. Well, but now Mark Everson, a, Mark Everson, yeah. who was uh, you know on the panel last week has been talking about you know the last couple times he's been with us that you know they they got back to normal very quickly in mississippi and this last time he sounded like he was a little less proud of that fact than he had been before <laughs> you know because uh, the cases were increasing anyway we have to take a uh, a short break but we will continue our conversation today on armchair politics with our roundtable regulars paul rosicki and henry hatter joined by uh, woodrow stanley we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break if you're streaming us we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back. Uh, Armchair Politics continues now with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Woodrow Stanley. House GOP leaders are strongly signaling that they are unlikely to punish Representative Liz Cheney for accepting Speaker Nancy Pelosi's assignment to serve on the January 6th Select Committee, a shift from earlier this month when it appeared the Wyoming Republican was at risk of losing a key post for breaking with her colleagues. No final decision has been made, but several top Republicans made clear that they viewed targeting Cheney as a distraction as the party seeks to focus its messaging on the Biden agenda in an effort to take back the House next year. Is this a significant win for Cheney? Yes, it is. I think. Yeah, and and frankly, from the point of view of the Republican Party, probably a wise move. The last thing they need to do is drive away what little, what base they have what support they have among the Cheney types. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It's from, from their point of view, it's probably a wise move. And it's, it's good for government. It's good for government. Uh, we're looking at party differences here. Taking back the House from what? Those are elected people who were granted those positions by the people of this country. They have a right to serve in those capacities. And uh, we have... We have uh, really um, did a disservice to our political system by one party or the other have to take back dominance over government rather than wait until their turn again uh, to win. And that certainly uh, will happen if we allow the process to take place. But this animism uh, toward each other is not good for the country. Doesn't bode well for the new generation, and it doesn't bode well for democracy. You know, it was kind of funny. Sandy and I were talking last night. You know, after seeing some of the uh, committee hearing yesterday on TV, and talked about some of the things that Liz Cheney said. I was not a big fan of Dick Cheney. I, I certainly would never go yeah. hunting with him. But um, <laughs> smart move. <laughs> but. I have really come to garner a lot of respect for Liz Cheney. Very courageous move on her part. Really. Even even if I <clears throat> even if I wouldn't necessarily regularly agree with votes or positions she might take on issues, um, by and large, I I think she's a a credible. Um, you know, she is the kind of representative we hope we elect and I, I i found it very interesting um to uh go on facebook this morning and um see a post from jack lessonberry that said almost exactly the same thing he said i never would have imagined in a million years that i'd be writing praise to liz cheney <laughs> <laughs> and and uh Anyway, I, I thought it was kind well, of interesting, but you know, it, it strikes me it's almost like one of those profiles and courage awards where she's doing the right thing, but it may cost her her seat. I mean, she may pay a penalty for it. We'll see, but uh, it, it's very courageous on her part, I think. You know, it's funny you mentioned profiles and courage. Um, the uh, 
I, I have a guest coming up. I'm not sure exactly uh, when he's scheduled. Um, Kenneth McMallion is his name, and he's written two books um, that are companion books. One is Profiles in Courage in the Trump Era and Profiles in Cowardice in the Trump Era. Oh, that and, could be interesting. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And, and it, it, I just thought of it because you brought up the, the title uh, Profiles in Courage, the JFK book. Um, but uh, what did you think of the... Um, the the committee hearing yesterday is it going to pr- be perceived as uh, a, a real bipartisan um, investigation? Hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, you 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 could be right, Henry. Though. I, I mean, I, I I don't think so. I think that people are protecting their own territory here, and they're not looking at the real issues, and it's too bad. Uh, there's some serious issues uh, for uh, January 6th. There's no doubt about that. And we need to investigate that and find out uh, what really happened. Yeah, I, I think a critical thing is going to be not just what, what, what happened on, on the ground there, but was there any tie to the White House? Was there any emails, phone calls, contacts of any kind to either encourage that, plan that, or support that in any way? If that comes out, that could be could be dynamite, uh, but the more I the more I hear, the more I guess shocked I am. I mean, even even after all this time, the, as the details emerge, uh, it clearly looks like it was there was much more planning to it than than, than I had thought earlier on. Was there foreign in, intervention? Who knows? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, there there are a lot of questions out there that we need to have answered if we can get them. You know, I uh, I agree with uh, what's been said, and I'm not so sure that this is going to produce any uh, additional smoking guns. But um, I mean, you know, there there I think that there are going to be some revelations in terms of the amount of um, involvement of uh, police officials, Capitol Police, and uh, the the uh, Capitol Hill uh, police, so uh, and and just other things. But those folks who are, who are already uh, taking their positions on both sides, I I don't see that much movement, uh, you know. Uh, but hey, having a full report of this, uh, sort of like the Kerner report, um, is is important for uh, historical purposes. You know, the the fact that it was uh, an attack on the U.S. Capitol is, is significant and certainly worthy of exploration. I'm, I'm a little troubled. I, I, um, <laughs> I, I was watching Tucker Carlson yesterday, which I rarely do, and not just because I don't like bow ties. But <laughs> he had a guest on that raised a very interesting question. Why why should the violence at the U.S. Capitol warrant investigation or congressional investigation, a select committee, if you will, um, when the, uh, the takeover of uh, municipal buildings in, uh, where was it? Was it Seattle or um, where was it in Washington? Portland. 
Portland, yeah. in Portland, Oregon. Why why wouldn't that event be as worthy of exploration? And and of course, because it was Tucker Carlson, it was uh, you know Democrats are trying to blame this all on Republicans, and that's why there's this investigation. And Democrats would never agree to investigate you know, something that seemed to be left-leaning um, in terms of some of the, the violence that has erupted uh, during protests and other things around the country. And, you know, as as much as I hate to admit it, I, I don't usually walk away from stuff on Fox haunted any more than I do MSNBC um, by by a point. But it seems like investigation is the best way to get to the bottom of why people are acting out on all sides of the issues and why there wouldn't be some uniformity to that is troubling i think sure yeah although one distinction that i see is that i mean at first i thought it was simply an unruly crowd out of control but when you start talking about a plans for a coup to undo the election, if, if, if that was true, if that was the real goal behind it, that really places it in the, the, the capital January 6th incident in a very different kind of category. You know, really but I'm not, but I'm not sure how different it is, Paul, from what yeah. went on in Portland. It might be. Again, it, I, and I, I don't know what the, the motives of those folks were either. Were they just, you know want to smash up a building or was there some gold larger than that i don't know i i, I uh tom I, I i would respectfully uh disagree with and I, i'm not sure if you're totally siding with tucker's uh no 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 not a not at all. I, I i know but but i i just i don't think that's a false equivalency to compare what happens in portland and what happens and I, if, if there were Democrats doing doing this, or folks who were associated with the Dem- Democratic Party, I'd say the same thing. This, I mean, when 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 people say that the capital of the United States is the citadel of democracy, so I mean, this uh, what happened in Portland didn't didn't reverberate around the galaxy. This did. This just doesn't. There have been uh, state and local uh, governmental buildings that have had different um, incidents over the years. This is not something that, I mean, you know, and then when we layer back this thing and we find out that uh, there was a, a part of this plot was to take out the vice president, take out the speaker, take out other Democratic leaders. And it was coordinated and planned. And we probably don't want to know all of the players. I, I think that you, that's and you, the and part you, that's scary. That, that, would, that and Portland, Portland is, isn't in that discussion, I don't believe, um, at all. I, I was just troubled by the length of time that, that people held that city, uh, or at least that that part of the city under siege, the, uh, I agree. the, I agree. the attempts to um, actually form their own government within that. It, it, 
it has some some similarities that that just struck me as being worthy of further investigation and you know my my belief is that if we investigate um, insurgencies on on both sides of the aisle we get to the bottom of what's troubling the people that feel it necessary to take those actions and then decide are they you know are they are they justified in in any possible way and i'm not saying that the people at the u.s capitol were i'm not saying that the people in portland weren't um but it it just troubles me um after i gave it some thought that there's a different kind of inequality going on there that's that's at least worthy of of looking at that's that's all i wanted to bring up about it right. because i can, don't can i just yeah Tom, please go I ahead one last thing yeah just one last thing so when we were about this you were about to to uh, introduce this um discussion we couldn't remember whether it was portland or seattle that's a fair point so so uh, could we remember whether it was Washington, D.C. or Washington County? I mean, it, it, it's just in the, 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 I don't think it's just in the United States. Around the world, if you said, hey, uh, you know, these folks, um, there was this insurrection at, in the United States Capitol. Immediately, folks know who it is. Certainly Americans do. So I just, I, I know your point, and I, I do agree with you that, the, the larger issue in terms of the amount of rebellious spirit that's going on all over the country that we we would do well to try and figure out what's what's underneath all of that yeah i i, I they, just think it yeah. all needs a fair hearing i agree i agree i agree and and yeah and and i agree with you and i'll avoid the the you know the the uh joke that keeps rolling around in the back of my head about uh you know we decide what we're going to investigate by height um <laughs> but 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 the but the idea that um you know these things happen and people are are telling us things and we're not listening you know, is yeah. the part that's that's the yeah. part that that haunted me, I suppose, by saying, you know, there's another whole element of this where people weren't being heard. And I was very moved by the by the officers that, you know, that that made the point, mm -hmm. you know, hey, elected officials, you know, we were up here risking our lives to protect you. And then some of you are out there saying nothing happened. Well, we were there and something happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't just a bunch of tourists. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, here's um, I don't I don't know if we have. Yeah, we do. We'll make time. Um, an extraordinary effort by Republican Senator Ted Cruz of Texas to block nominees from being confirmed vital jobs in the State Department is creating hurdles 
for the Biden administration and hindering U.S. diplomacy, according to Democrats and Republicans who spoke with CNN. The Biden administration, with about 60 State Department nominees waiting to be confirmed, is encountering greater roadblocks in securing Senate confirmation at state than at any other agency. Administration officials and Democrats point to Republicans who admit they're playing a role, but sources from all three groups say the bulk of the blame should be placed on Cruz. The junior senator from Texas has become the public face of the State Department's difficulties proudly claiming responsibility for blocks on a slew of senior officials. Cruz is trying to pressure the administration on a specific point of Russia policy, a campaign that other Republicans say is fruitless and that triggered a fiery shouting match with Senator Robert Menendez, a New Jersey Democrat who's the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Cruz does not appear willing to budge. I look forward to lifting the holds just as soon as they impose the sanctions on Nord Stream 2 that are required by federal law, he told CNN. A toxic brew of personality politics, hyper-partisanship, and political grandstanding has transformed the often dull approval process for nominees into a politicized battle, one that is squeezing Democratic leadership in the Senate as it juggles priorities, including President Joe Biden's push for infrastructure legislation and the tight deadline of a looming summer recess. Should there be a rule established that blocking nominations has to be based solely on qualifications? Hmm. Is that even feasible? That is worthy of discussion. Yeah, it depends on the nomination and the kind of job we're talking about, I think. Uh, I mean, clearly there's partisan roles played for judges and things like that, obviously. Um, But for some routine State Department officials, you really wonder what kind of role partisanship ought to play. But there, were, there was a time when there were members of the legis- of the Senate who would balk at, at highly qualified candidates yeah. because they were too qualified to turn down. That doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't see that reluctance. We don't see that that check, you know, on on their own personal integrity that says, well, he's got a qualified one there, you know. I may not agree with his politics, but he's certainly qualified for the job. Yeah. And well, that's, that, that's a reflection of the partisan division we have today, I think. Yeah. And, and there's no, uh, I've said this before, that the word bipartisanship doesn't come into play. So you can't get, you know, um, six from one side or six from the other, and they sort of form this um, real power in the middle, even though they're not the majority, but they're able to move uh, a lot of the uh, (coughs) nominees along. This is the fringe element has become... (laughs) <laughs> the majority. Yeah, but uh, still, uh, even though we find this difficult to do, it is our obligation to work toward seeking uh, that position in government where people don't can't come together, and therefore we throw up our hands and say, alas, this can't be done. 
we have to work toward eradicating the op- opposition or joining them. And we you can't know, join them because the folks back home don't want us to join them. Now, this particular you know, story is, is focused on uh, um, extensions of cabinet positions. But, you know, we wonder why the criminal justice system is backed up all the time when there are, at any given time, dozens of federal benches sitting right. empty because True. they can't get the judges confirmed. Yeah. And it goes back and forth from one party to the other. It's yeah. I was going to say, I, I think I recall a time when presidents, is that when they first picked their cabinet, and, and this goes back a few decades, it was not uncommon to at least include a couple of people of the other party in your cabinet, just as a, an attempt to reach out to the other party. I know at least several presidents in the past had done that, and it's gotten less common in recent years. And I think, but, and I think, a lot more positions are Senate confirmable now than there used to be. That's yeah, I think so. Well, I I, I think uh, we've seen uh, this movement by uh, leaders, uh, governors, or presidents to move to appoint people of the of uh, the the opposition party to certain uh, positions of responsibility in their own uh, administration. And you just saw this happen with President Biden. I don't recall the person that was appointed. Or with uh, the governor. Governor um, uh, Michigan has also done the same thing within the last month or two. I think that there's evidence that they're they're moving, uh, uh, trying to make that happen, even though... It might not be sincere, but it is. It gives the public something to uh, hope for that we're moving in the right direction, rather than tearing the country to endless destruction. Well, we've got about two minutes left till we get to the break, and I don't have time to do the full setup for this. But um, Mississippi's uh, Attorney General told the Supreme Court on Thursday that Roe v. Wade was egregiously wrong and should be overturned um, as she uh, urged the justices to allow a controversial law that bars most abortions after 15 weeks to go into effect. Is Roe v. Wade likely to be overturned in the near future? Mm-hmm. Recently, yeah, it's looking more and more like it. It, it, it does. It looked yeah. like it was safe it's for a while. Well, that depends on the X generation and the people just before them, their moods, what they want, because it's going to move in the direction of those people who will rule here in the next uh, generation. Well, and, and I think the line on looks when, like it's, I, I think the line on when life begins has moved. Yeah, and and so it, it it's it's going to end up facing some real challenges, I think, in the near future. I have a hunch this current course probably not going to overturn it, but they may pass the buck back to the states in some way. I even think Judge Roberts especially doesn't want to see, seem, doesn't, doesn't want to enter the controversy on the other side dramatically. But I can see them, they've been winnowing away at it for years, and I can see potentially passing the buck back to the states in some way. In some fashion, allowing each state to do its own thing. Yeah, I think the Supreme Court justices like when their rulings are referred to as the law of the land. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. 
Hey, we've got to take another break, but we've got uh, X-Files coming up in uh, uh, one more segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics. I'm the Tom Sumner, but we're going to let our broadcast partners at WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, and we'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics straight ahead hey <laughs> this is the unknown comic and guess what you're listening to the tom sumner show right now and now and now too and even now our lives have been turned upside down by covid19 when a vaccine becomes available it's critical that all of us get it what we do as individuals will impact everyone's health including those who can't get the vaccine We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them, in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the final segment of today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, the segment we uh, call uh, those, those weird and wacky stories, The X-Files. An Indonesian man with the coronavirus has boarded a domestic flight disguised as his wife, wearing a knee jab, uh, covering his face and carrying fake IDs and a negative PCR test result. But the cover didn't last too long. Police say a flight attendant aboard a CityLink plane traveling from Jakarta to Ternate uh, in uh, North uh, Maluku province on Sunday noticed the man change clothes in the lavatory. He bought the plane ticket with his wife's name and brought the identity card, the PCR test result, and the vaccination card with his wife's name. All documents are under his wife's name. Uh, the police uh, said after arresting the man upon landing, he was only identified by his initials. Police took him for a COVID-19 test, which came back positive. The man is currently self-isolating at home, and police said the investigation will continue. Uh should airplanes uh, have a quarantine section? <laughs> right. <laughs> Not sure how you pull that off. I don't know either. But here's here's one that's that's just <laughs> this one really tickled me. On March 28th, a young couple in South Korea made the mistake of a lifetime. They spent their Sunday at the Lot World Mall in Seoul and spotted a rather eye-catching painting in the street noise exhibit. Taking the paint buckets and brushes lying below the work as an invitation to collaborate, they happily contributed a few strokes of their own and ruined a $440,000 painting. <laughs> Whoa. The anonymous 20-something couple was entirely oblivious to the fact that they had just become vandals. They genuinely believed it was a participatory work because of the paint and brushes underneath, according to ABC News. However, the painting had been displayed this way since 2016. 
Mm. When American graffiti artist John Andrew Perello uh, finished it before an audience for the great graffiti show at the Seoul Arts Center. Perello, who goes by John One, has decided not to respond to the incident, according to the Independent. Staff at the gallery immediately notified police after noticing the new brush strokes on March 28th. The security footage clearly showed who had committed the crime, and the couple expressed sincere embarrassment under questioning by authorities. Perello's painting was the only one in the gallery without a frame due to its size, measuring 22.9 feet by 7.8 feet. It certainly draws the eye. Unfortunately, so did the tools deliberately placed beneath (laughs) it as integral parts of the artwork. Kang Wook, a co-organizer uh, of the exhibit, has been in talks with Perello about how or whether to restore the piece to its former glory, while the organiza- uh, organization has decided not to press charges against the couple. Will they get artist credit for contributing to the piece? <laughs> Maybe a small footnote or something. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Give everybody some credit. Yeah. yeah. Well, commercial flights are typically uneventful, but for a couple of pilots aboard American Airlines Flight 2292 to Phoenix, Arizona on Sunday, the ride was anything but boring. At around 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, they spotted an unidentified flying object soaring right over them at 37,000 feet. According to The Drive, the flight took off from Cincinnati, Ohio without a hitch. It was somewhere above northeastern New Mexico uh, that the airmen uh, radioed the air, route, the air Route Traffic Control Center in Albuquerque for answers. According to Q13 Fox, the transmission was recorded and intercepted by experienced radio man Steve Douglas, who published it on his blog, Deep Black Horizon. And they said, do you have any targets up here? We just had something go right over the top of us, the pilot said. I hate to say this, but it looked like a long cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast. It went right over the top of us. But perhaps most remarkable is the fact that none of the passengers aboard saw the UFO or even knew that the pilots had. Meanwhile, radar men on the ground and amateur UFOologists desperately tried to identify what had encroached on the Airbus A320 that day. It's important to note that American Airlines is one of the largest airline corporations in the world. The fact that it not only confirmed its pilots encountered a UFO, but also suggested that any inquiries be relayed to the FBI is news to behold, particularly after the Pentagon admitted last year that the Navy witnessed some startling UFOs. Will more people fly American Airlines if they think there's a chance of seeing a UFO? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, probably. Or or maybe the UFO was just some billionaire on his way to outer space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's going to start being some traffic up there for sure. Yeah, right. Um, I I came up with a new slogan for American Airlines. The truth is up here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, for a moment when I I watched that uh, liftoff, 
Americans came together for a moment. <laughs> they they did. They were. I I think that most people were pulling for the success of this, uh, and uh, politics were completely left out of it. It was science at a maximum. We were watching it historically, mm. and the success of all of it. You know, I thought that we did a good job in trying to come together at that time. Well, I think, I think we all do better when we reach for the stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of uh, the X Files on armchair politics and armchair politics, actually. And uh, I want to make sure and and thank uh, Woodrow Stanley. Wood, it's always uh, a pleasure when you join us. Enjoyed it. Good to have you here, Wood. And to, yeah, thank uh, you. and to our yeah. roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki, thank you so much. It's uh, always good to be here. It's, it's always great to include you. And Henry Hatter, it is such a pleasure to uh, talk with you thank every you. chance I get. Uh, you know, I, I just wanted to please answer this next time we come together. Now, I, I, um, Mitch McConnell said that 70% of the legislation that goes through Congress is supported by bipartisan legislation or bipartisan effort. Uh, why are we at each other's throats? If that kind of success is moving through Congress uh, without gridlock, why are we so concerned? Uh, they're doing their jobs. Uh, and please explain to me why Mitch McConnell would be able to say that. And we're at each other's throats. Well, he's not I the first person doing... I've heard say that, Henry. I've talked to uh, state legislators and asked that, you know, basically that same question. You know, why does it seem like there's always gridlock? And they say, those are the things you hear about. Those are the big stories, the things that we don't agree on. But every day there are things that pass through the, the state legislature Virtually unanimously. And, you know, and I'm very proud of the United States for all of it is accomplished due to the race issue. We're moving in the right direction without legislation. I'm done. No, I think there's some, some truth to that, Henry. I was going to say, I think for that 70% number, I, I wonder how many of those 70% of bills, though, are very minor things, you know, renaming a post office after somebody or things Procedural. Of that nature, where nobody's got any debate about that. Resolutions I, again, I declaring it uh, Girl Scout Cookie Day. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yes, yeah. but the, the real tough issues are the ones that have to do with expenditures. Yeah, major, major uh, issues. Yeah. Everybody needs to have uh, input on that to get it right and, and I, I that requires some thought thank well you. that's certainly true Henry Paul Wood thanks so much guys good to be here take care and that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room but I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner program and I hope you'll uh, I hope you'll join me in the meantime, have a great day, and uh, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. 
we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.